All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Opinion Elections Podcast. My name is Andrew McQuinney. I'm the opinion editor of The Gateway, and I'm joined by three other opinion volunteers who've been covering the UASU elections uh, closely in 2019 this year. Hi, um, my name is Peyton. I've been a volunteer with The Gateway since the beginning of the year, and I have been covering specifically the vice president external race during the elections. Hi, I'm Dane. Uh, I've been working with The Gateway for about two years now, and I've been covering the vice president academic position. Hi, my name's Kyle Monda. Um, this is my fifth year on campus, so I've seen a few elections, and um, I've been running for about SU politics for The Gateway all year. Excellent. All right. So we'll be kind of talking through today um, some of the races that have been going on this week after a week of campaigning. Uh, we'll be covering the contested races, so that includes external president and vice president student life, mostly because the uncontested races. Because they're uncontested. <laughs> I guess we'll start with vice president external. So what are, Peyton, some of your first thoughts regarding uh, the first week of campaigning from the vice president external race? During the first week, it was a lot of close competition, I think. Um, I do think that Adam seems, or Adam Brown, pardon me, seems a lot more trained in politics than um, his competitor, Robert Bielak. But um, in terms of Brown, little emotion was shown. So that kind of gave Bielak a little bit of an edge. Towards the end of the week, especially at the CSJ forum, I feel that Brown pulled ahead. And that's mainly just because he was a lot more succinct with his answers. He knew way more about um, the CSJ campus and their issues. And I just feel like he is pulling through as stronger. And this is not even to mention that the moderators have forgotten about Bielak three times now, which is not his fault, but it just puts a bad light on things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that um, media training and a lot of that preparedness that Brown has certainly comes from his experience as vice president external this year. And uh, his also his knowledge with uh, CSJ issues also comes with his strong ties to that campus. He was IUFSJ president uh, two years ago now. So he has a lot of t close ties to that campus and a lot of awareness on those issues as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Brown can keep up his advantage when he doesn't have like the home faculty perk and also being the only candidate this year that can fluently speak French. I would say it's Still a bit strange to me that Brown is running for re-election rather than running for president. I would definitely say he's more suited to running for president. Um, I think his demeanor and his attitude and his knowledge and achievements with the SU do more suit the president position. I'm not sure why he chose to, um, you know, run for re-election. Yeah, I would say the other thing that stood out to me about the vice president external race is just how uninspiring both of the candidates are. The vice president external portfolio is one that really needs to be able to rally students behind them to be able to show government that, hey, this is what we care about. You should listen to me because I have all these students behind me that are going to vote based on these interests. And I'm not really 100% sure in the ability of either of these candidates to be able to gather students behind them like that. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, Kyle. I certainly don't see that, uh, you know, strong student support for either candidate, but I think... and. Peyton, you discussed this um, because Brown is this, you know, kind of trained politician, so to speak, and he's obviously very eloquent and he's experienced when he stands up and and talks at the microphone. I think students are going to look at him and say, okay, well, especially when it comes to interacting with the government, interacting with you know other organizations that you know the students' union would have to. He's going to be the guy because you know he's able to stand in front of a microphone, look good, and talk well. 
And it does help um, that he has, as he said many times, uh, he has a lot of experience speaking with the government. He had a 40-minute meeting with uh, Justin Trudeau this year, um, and it's just it's been a lot. He's met with the government many times and lobbied for a lot of things. He passed Bill 19. He definitely has the experience and the abilities um, to be able to work in this position, but... I'm just not sure that there's the passion there that I would like to see and that students would probably like to see for a position like this. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of getting a bit of a David and Goliath kind of vibe with uh, Brown and, and Belak. And I mean, it's it's a bit hard to tell, I guess, who has the better platform because the experience of, of Brown kind of overshadows it a bit. I mean, I, I certainly think um, Belak has, has the chops and has... Um, some of the knowledge to get it done, but he's just the small man running against the uh, the big guy who's already done this for a year, who already knows what he's doing. There's also very little new in either of their platforms. I read through them yesterday, and both of them are really more focused on continuing advocacy points that the SU has been working on for years. I didn't see much in the way of new approaches or new policy goals from either of them, which I think comes out of Robert being a current counselor and Adam Brown being the current vice president external. Of course, he thinks he had the right goals over the last year. Otherwise, he wouldn't be running again. I think that's also part of the lack of inspiring content in this race is the fact that they're both from the current SU establishment and there's not many new ideas there. Absolutely. So from everybody here, there's only a few days left, of course, in campaigning. What would you like to see from either Brown or Bielak uh, come the Meyer Horowitz uh, forum or just the last few days here to push uh, for the election days? I think I would really like to see them address some of the questions they've been avoiding. Uh, for instance, at one of the forums at uh, the Substage Forum 2, they were both asked what they would do for women on campus and they kind of evaded it. Um, they both just stuck to the SU's, you know, usual points. Um, they're, you know, talking about stride and including more women in the SU, but they didn't mention anything that wasn't students union specific. So um, I would definitely like to see them address that as well as kind of step out of their um, political personas. So Bilak has been quite um, emotional, but he hasn't really laid down solid um, plans and ways to get things done. And adversely, Brown has been very um, stone-faced about uh, his politics, and I would like to see some personal invest from, from investment from him as well. Uh, as we've kind of discussed with that, you know, lack of personality, so to speak, or that lack of, of student engagement, I think that would be, that would certainly be something I hope to see, especially in the Meyer Horowitz you know, as we've said, that's certainly been lacking with both candidates. And I think if Belak does that, that might be something that can make this race a lot more contested because right now it feels a bit like two candidates with, you know, similar solid average platforms, but one just, you know, can talk circles around the other. Yeah, I would really like to see them differentiate themselves from each other in a more meaningful way because like, as just mentioned, right now, their platforms are very similar, but Brown is better at presenting it, so he has that advantage over Belak. But I think if Belak did um, find a way to make himself different from Brown's approach to advocacy and also went more after the fact that Brown it's now Brown's fifth year on campus and he's already been vice president external, I think there would be kind of a place for him to um, make himself seem more relatable to the average student. I think that would be the most successful path for Belak to take at this point. Alrighty. 
So I guess now, after discussion of the external race, we'll move on to vice president student life. What have your kind of impressions been for this first week of campaigning from the vice president student life race? I'm going to be entirely honest. I think Larson has um, completely locked down the show. Like, I think he has proved to be like truly by a mile the most capable and most concise candidate. He's given the most well-explained answers. He knows his points inside and out. I was rather impressed with his uh, French opening at uh, CSJ. He, uh, you know, he's obviously not French, but I thought that was a really nice effort. You know, Shua was a bit held back by nerves, I thought, at the start. Um, Rory, I think, has kind of relied on, you know, a single vague idea of creating more student engagement and um, hasn't had experience in government. So, I personally think it's been a pretty clear first, second, and third. I definitely agree with that. Um, but I do think that Shua Rizvi would be extremely competent in the role. I just think that due to who she's up against, uh, Larson, I think it's it's a lot for her to run against. And um, her points are great, um, and she just needs to present them a little better. If she were to do something at Meyer Horowitz that would show us that she would be um, a capable, strong leader, I think it would help her a lot. I don't necessarily think she would pull forward, though, just because of Larson and the way he is and how well he's performed so far. Um, in terms of Storm, I think that he would be fine in the position, but I think that he doesn't have a lot of concrete, real ideas. I think he's relied a lot on who he is and his connections to the Greek community, and he hasn't really put any effort into the campaign that the other two have. So I do think that he will play place last, not because of who he is, but because of the work he's put in. I would say that both, it seems that both Rizvi and Storm underprepared for the campaign, I think especially Rizvi, if they had both um, put more time into putting together a more complete platform and done more pre-campaign consultations with the different stakeholders of the student life portfolio, like residence groups, um, student groups on campus, I think that they would have stood a much better chance against Larson. But just because Larson has been already president of the Hub Community Association for the past two years, he's very versed in a lot of different parts of the student life portfolio because he's been organizing the kind of events that the VP student life is responsible for. He's been doing residence advocacy. He's been on the Council of Residence Association. So he just has that knowledge base that the other two candidates are lacking. I think they both brought the right attitude to the campaign and they've put a really valid effort into the forums. I've definitely seen people perform worse at forums than both of them, but it seems like they didn't put in that kind of more boring academic groundwork before the campaign that's really needed to um, make it. Yeah, I do think Larson, yeah, as you talked about, had a lot of that work cut out for him, given his involvement um, in residence and in kind of those formal governance structures. So he knows a lot of vocabulary. He's also probably had a lot of media training done, given that his media appearances um, regarding advocacy for Hub as well. So he speaks like a very well-trained media like politician. He has all those connections. And so he can kind of combine a lot of that academic groundwork that he's done with some of kind of the passion and some of that media training as well. Um, and I do agree. I think there has been a lot of passion from the other two candidates. And I think that passion would be had they, that been combined with, again, that more background research, um, some more kind of understanding some of the stakeholder issues, they could have, it could have been a very hotly contested race and probably one of the most interesting races we would have seen this year. But unfortunately, lacking that, the race has kind of just fallen into a very clear just one, two, three. I agree with that as well. 
I think it's also important to note, though, that the VP student life race in general is very unpredictable. With who wins, there's been clear front runners in the past, but they haven't been the ones who have won the race in the end. So I think it would be a bit premature to call it for Larson because a lot of people, with the student life being such a broad portfolio, people vote for it with very different values in mind. While it has taken more of an advocacy um, based turn in recent years, there are still a lot of people on campus who vote for the student life as solely the person they want to organize their students' union events. So that's an important perspective to consider here that while Larson might be like vastly more qualified than the other two candidates, that might not be what people are looking for in their student life VP yeah. this year. Yeah, Kyle, I definitely agree with that because I think, and I think if there is an upset, it's going to be one of the other two candidates coming forward and really showing that passion, really engaging with the student body, being that typical, you know, candidate for what might have been thought as the more lighthearted VP position, the more fun one, so to speak. So I think if there is an upset, it's it's going to be because Rizvi or Storm capitalizes on the fact that Larson hasn't really tapped into that yet. I think they're going to really have to do something, uh, you know, they're going to have to have a miracle to match him in that sort of, you know, true academic political preparation because he's just pulled so far ahead. Yeah, I think I think that would be in, you know, kind of leading into a discussion of of what I would want to see. I think uh I would certainly like to see not necessarily just Rizvi or uh or Storm, but also Larson kind of engage in more of that personable role of VP student life. That said, I do think um Larson has showed a certain amount of of passion for the role. Um, like you said, when he opened up with French, even though he doesn't speak it at the CESJ forum. And I think that he's very committed to the role. Like like you guys said, he hasn't really, he's the only one who has put in the academic groundwork in terms of um, running for the VPSL. But I, um, I do think that his experience combined with that bit of passion, as long as he keeps pulling through, as long as he does as well as he's done at the last forum, I, I would think that he would, he would still pull through as the winner. I think the biggest upset that we could see, um, if it is an upset from the other two, is definitely Storm. Uh, I think Storm, with his involvement in the Interfraternity Council on campus, um, has consolidated um, a lot of the Greek vote as well. So if there is going to be a large voting block um, voting for Storm that could cause an upset, I do think that uh, Storm would be the one to have that voting block and that upset. It's difficult to predict any outcomes this year because student engagement has been so low. The turnout at the forums has been abysmal. I haven't seen almost anybody talking about the election on Twitter compared to past years. I think the winners in each race are going to be the ones that can rally the most voters and really have that face-to-face contact and tell people to vote. The general student population at this point, the number of people who are really following along closely and reading the platforms is very minimal. And now we move on to the big kahuna of the contested races this year, and that is the presidential race. As someone who's been covering the presidential race quite closely, um, I have to say this is definitely the closest of the contested races. I think there's no question there is actual competition here. Both Akanksha Batnagar and Andre Bourgeois, of course, have served on the same SU executive this year. Uh, Akanksha Batnagar served as vice president academic and Andre Bourgeois as vice president student life. They're both very well media trained. They're both very well spoken. And they've shown quite a bit of fire, I think, at all the forums this week. Um, They've been throwing little jabs at each other and questions they're asked. They've been taking each other to task on questions. And really, it's difficult because quite a bit of the core big parts of their platform are the same. They both want to um, complete the student charter of rights. They both want to do kind of advocacy 
um, in other parts of campus. There's little small nuances, though, between the platforms that um, I think kind of break up that nuance a bit there, too. You have Batnagar uh, advocating for free menstrual products on campus, which I think is like a great platform point that nobody, I think no other candidate, especially a male candidate, would have thought of to consider to add to their platform. Uh, Andre Bourgeois said he stated that one of his number one goals is to create a uh, office of restorative practices, kind of a holistic office that would do the job of a sexual assault coordinator, coordinator and other services. Uh uh, something that he failed to do uh, in his role as vice president student life. So I feel like a lot of who you're going to vote for when it comes to the presidential race comes down to a lot of kind of those fundamental values. I think they both offer things that are unique in their platforms that I would like to see on campus, but it's just a matter of who you think would be the better face of the SU and which of the issues, the nuanced issues uh, you really want your uh, candidate to be tackling. The two biggest surprises for me out of this race, um, firstly, is um, Marina Bannister's ongoing impact on the presidential position, because a lot of their campaign points were basically directly lifted from what she campaigned on and what her platform was. So the Student Bill of Rights was initially kind of masterminded by her as her signature achievement, and a lot of the other pieces based on advocacy are also very similar from what she pursued. So that's been interesting to me. Second of all, just the clear dislike that Batnagar and Bourgeois have shown for each other at all the forums. Um, throughout the year, of course, while they were serving on exec, I didn't really see them interact much, Which, but I didn't, of course, see them openly go at each other either. But it's very clear from the forums that there's some bad blood between them because they're not treating each other in the friendly way that some of the current exec candidates for president have treated each other in the past. I've, as as you've mentioned, Andrew, I see a lot of similarities between the two. Um, their platforms, as you've mentioned, are extremely similar. There's kind of a few like special points, uh, you know, with the uh, particular office that Bourgeois was suggesting implementing. Um, Really, the biggest thing I've noticed just based off of the forums, because that's the only interactions I've I've had with these candidates, was Batnagar seemed to be a bit better of the campaigning politician. I thought her speeches were a bit more charismatic, but I personally found that in the forums, Bourgeois gave more detailed, straightforward answers. I thought sometimes uh, Batnagar kind of did the political, not really the full walk around, but, you know, was trying to show her passion and that's great. But, you know, I think if you synthesize both of them, you kind of have like the perfect SU politician. So I think students will elect the candidates, uh, you know, that they see most aligned with their temperament. And I, I think that's a bit disappointing because, I mean, not the voting on temperament, but I mean that because their platforms are so similar, it's not, uh, you know, I want this for the SU or I want that. It's more than less, I want the same thing. And what face do I want in front of it? Yeah, I mean, I've actually been really surprised by this race because due to campaigning, I definitely thought Batnagar was going to pull ahead straight away. Um, but Bourgeois has kept right up to her. They've been, you know, toe to toe at every forum. They they really aren't giving much ground to one another. So it's really interesting to see them. And yes, their platforms are similar. But like you said, their temperaments are not. So I really do think that's what it will come down to. I am not a fan of how they have been dismissing a few issues um, as well. In terms of like sexual violence on campus, um, whenever they're asked about it, they kind of just dance around the question. And I know that Bourgeois, it just feels like it's always an afterthought. And that really sucks because it's a huge problem on every university campus across the entire country and every country in the world. And it needs to be paid more attention to, but neither of them are really doing that for it. 
but I have no problems with either of them. I think either of them would be a perfectly competent president. I think that they would do well in their terms. Um, I have no doubts that they would serve the SU well. The other thing about the two candidates is that neither of them really have a standout accomplishment from their past year as vice president. They were both, like you said, perfectly competent in their positions, but neither of them have really achieved any radical goals or changed the SU or the university in a very large way. So I'm not sure that we're going to see any big achievements from them in their term as presidents if their accomplishments as vice presidents were anything to base that on. It could be that they didn't want to rock the boat too much as vice president um, to dampen their chances for a presidential run if that's what they were planning on. But I would say that I wouldn't expect anything big from either of them. Which I think is an interesting way of going about it because both of them have been um, speaking at the um, forums that the SU has failed and that at their terms, Executive uh, Bandigar has spoken quite a bit about, oh, this thing happened. For example, um, the way that the SU responded to the university's apology about that student who was evicted from residence in 2016 uh, due to a suicide attempt. Um, Batnagar was very upset that and said that she was very upset that the SU sat back and was quiet and did nothing if she wants to change that. But if she was part of that executive, it's hard to tell, again, the internal politics of who gets to speak out, who gets to be quiet, what the divisions were there. But nothing was said. And I think um, Bourgeois has also done the same thing where he says the SU has kind of failed to do anything. And I'm also, again, that attempt to be very radical and very anti-SU while still holding a lot of those SU values, I think, is an interesting twist. I don't know how many students will see through that or will kind of accept it at their word. It's difficult to see. It's strange because I'm not sure if they're kind of both pointing the finger at the current president, Reed Larson, as maybe keeping them in line on those issues or saying that they need to have a, a certain common talking point on it. But they both, yeah, like you said, they both have kind of identified failings of the SU's response to various problems that have happened over the last year, but haven't really identified in a meaningful way why they didn't respond differently because they are both currently vice presidents. Yeah, they might not have had, uh, you know, any major standard achievements. But the reality is, one year um, for any position isn't a lot of time to get, you know, that much done. Uh, it can take a lot of time to make these big standout changes. So people who uh, do make those, or, or executives, I should say, who do end up making those standout changes, might more be resultant of. Uh, changes that were occurring over time and then it finally happened during their presidency or during their uh, uh, executive position. I think it's also important to note that the vice president academic and vice president student life, both of their current VP positions are both internally focused positions. So it is possible to get things done a bit faster than positions like the external, which are focused on government advocacy, which takes years and years and years to get anything done. Um, especially in the student life, you can make short-term changes to things like SU events on a very fast basis, but we didn't really see bourgeois tinker with that much at all. Um, so just a final thing, I think, I just want to see for both candidates moving forward. Um, the Meyer Horowitz Forum, I think, is infamous, uh, a lot of people say, for being the only forum that really matters. This is the forum where classes get canceled. Everybody has the opportunity to live the forum or attend the forum directly in the Meyer Horowitz, ask those critical questions. And this will be the moment where I think both presidential candidates can really try and pull out some of like all the stops. They've pulled out small stops here and there, small points. They've been very focused at each forum. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see, I think, what the Meyer Horowitz brings 
for those kind of introductory polemics and those kind of introductory rhetorics and see really if it makes any big difference. I do ultimately think that even if Bourgeois somehow manages to dominate the Meyer Horowitz Forum, uh, Batnagar still has a lot of her marketing on her side. Her uh, campaigning materials have been abundant. They've been everywhere. I've seen them on all of my social media feeds from tons of different people. She gets tons of regular endorsements. Her platform points are published daily. There's a lot of saturation of that. Um, and that could go both ways. That could make people kind of sick of seeing her name everywhere. Uh, but I think it could also kind of just make her name even stick there in the first place instead of Bourgeois' name. I think Bourgeois has been much more quiet on that front. And that's not to say he hasn't done any of that campaigning, but He's just been a lot quieter. His name doesn't stick out nearly as much, at least in that kind of front, if you haven't been watching the forums closely. So uh, we'll have to see, I think, by the end. I still think it's quite close and it's difficult to say uh, who will come out on top. Do we think none of the above stands a chance in any races? When it comes to the contested races, absolutely not. When it comes to the uncontested races, it's hard to say. I think a lot of the contested races have had people show up and have had the one person running have been, I'd say... Passable. I don't think that they're particularly egregious. We haven't had a particular candidate come on and like absolutely either say completely wrong platform points stuff out of their portfolio or to say things that are like completely unachievable or completely ridiculous. Um, so I think that none of the above wouldn't win, but I do think that like the uncontested races could have had more effort put into them, especially by a lot of the candidates that are running in them uh, in particular. So definitely, I would say that the the uncontested candidates have all kind of stayed in their lane. In the election, none of them have said anything too controversial that I think would drive students to vote for none of the above, as they have in the past for against some candidates that were a bit more uh, unconventional, yes. <laughs> now that all the races have been discussed, um, just some other general impressions that we've had. Uh, the organization of forums this year and the moderations of forums this year have been odd or just kind of, I think, poorly run for the most part. Yeah, to say the least. Um, so all the forums have opened with a strangely long explanation of bylaw, which has not been the case in the past. Candidates are all required to know elections bylaw, and they sign a contract saying that they will follow it at the beginning of that campaign. Reading it out at the beginning of the forum is totally unnecessary and just makes things more boring for the people who are watching. Um, and like I said before, um, Robert Bielak, one of the VP external candidates, has been forgotten not once, twice, but three times, which is insane. It, and it was more than one moderator, too. It wasn't just the same person forgetting them. So it isn't bias. It just appears to be... And it's not bias. It just appears to be sloppiness on the part of the moderators. The official SU Elections Twitter account hasn't posted anything since last year. It seems that it's just been abandoned, which is frustrating because... Like Twitter is really the best forum to discuss the forums as they're happening. And Facebook doesn't really um, make itself out for those kind of live response. Yeah, I agree. So social media is a, a very important, you know, campaigning and advertising medium. And uh, it's certainly been underutilized by the, uh, you know, elections administration. I would also add that there was no campaign encouraging students to run for the election this year. Traditionally, in the lead up to the nomination deadline, the SU Elections Office has done a poster campaign just in general, encouraging students to run. Or last year, last year we had the UASU Got This, which was specifically targeted at encouraging marginalized students to run for the election. But this year we had nothing, which definitely didn't help the low turnout of candidates. 
I think a big thing I want to talk about in the forums as well was um, there was a lack of um, chances for contested races and contested candidates to ask each other questions. That's typically something that is done in every forum. So they have a chance to you know, interrogate their candidates. They have a chance to poke themselves in issues. And that would have given students a chance to kind of uh, see the personalities of each of these candidates pop up I and mean, get a sense. But really, all the questions were just open to the floor, which I think was a bit of a misstep on the sides of uh, the moderators and the way that the forums were organized, I think that would have given uh, a lot more insight for students to see uh, who these candidates really are and give the candidates an opportunity also to show who they really are. I don't think they really got a lot of that space just from questions from the floor. Yeah, I, I think that kind of leads into, you know, why we've said, especially with the VP external position and the presidential position, like there seems to be a lot of platform similarities. And I think if they did facilitate that um kind of style of um, sophisticated interrogation where you can ask your your fellow candidates questions, we would see a lot more of that differentiation. So I think that might be um, a, a big contributor to why some of the uh, some of the candidates seem very similar. There's also been no opportunity for candidates to rebut each other on responses, which has been the case in certain forms in the past. Um, and I do agree, like one of the only times we've seen candidates interact um, at the, the CSJ forum um, when Batnagar and Bourgeois were being asked about uh, their French, the French availability of their platforms. Um, Batnagar's is available in French and she made sure to state that her competitors wasn't. But when he stepped up to the mic, he mentioned that she doesn't even talk about a CSJ at all in her platform. It would be really nice to see a lot more of um, those revelations from between the campaigners. Well, yeah. Thank you all for coming and listening to the Opinion Elections podcast. Uh, this has been a great discussion. Voting is on March 6th and 7th. So if you are inclined to vote um, for any of the races, please come out those days and vote. Um, and yeah, we'll hopefully see you at the voting booths.